Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians all day today. Uh, we began the Sunday school hour in a survey of the book of Ephesians. And uh, we'll have our message this morning in Ephesians 3. And then, Lord willing, this afternoon, uh, after the lunchtime at the 1 o'clock hour, we'll be uh, also in the book of Ephesians, chapters 1, 2, and 3, and uh, dealing with some things there. Two weeks ago, uh, I had another message ready to preach, and for whatever reason, it didn't seem to be the message to preach. And uh, when I uh, preached on that morning, I did preach on the message of salvation and uh, the idea that we're saved by our faith in Christ, putting our trust in what He has done for us on Calvary. He's paid for our sin. We don't have to pay for it ourselves. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to labor for it. We don't have to join the church for it or get baptized for it. We just simply have to put our faith and our trust in it and believe Him for what He said He would do, that if we'll put our faith and trust in Him, He would give us eternal life. He would give us the forgiveness of our sins. And last Sunday uh, dealt with the topic of assurance of our salvation, how we can know that we're eternally secure. And then um, I came to the book of Ephesians. It just so happened we were in this book this week in Sunday school and studying for the lesson. Um, felt like this would be the message for this morning and prayed about it. And God has not told me no, so we're going to go ahead with it. All right? Uh, not that God speaks to me audibly, but there's sometimes... I don't always... I tell people sometimes He doesn't always... Uh, give you that, yes, this is the message for today, but there are certainly times where he says, this is not the one for today. <laughs> and I get those uh, quite often, well, not quite often, over the uh, ministry I've had a few times where I've come to the pulpit and that's not been the message. And this one seems to be the one for the hour. And, and really, within keeping of the last two Sundays, uh, kind of makes a progression of our Christian life, that we get saved, that we're assured of that salvation. And now what? Now what? Now that we're saved. So we got into the book of Ephesians this morning. I'm not going to reteach Sunday school, but I do need to give a little bit of background. The church at Ephesus was the central spiritual uh, location of uh, Asia Minor. It's really kind of where the spiritual hotbed was for that area uh, during uh, the time shortly after Christ, during Paul's ministry. It's a very large city, and uh, the church that was established there had been saved. They were, faith, they were faithful in the area of uh, their salvation doctrine. Um, and did not do like some other churches had done, like some of the churches in Galatia that had uh, departed from some things. They, they had been faithful to those things, but the problem was uh, they, they had so much that Christ did for them uh, through the process of salvation and redemption, and they were either not aware of it or they had forgotten it and gotten away from it. In fact, uh, John writes the letter in, in Revelation uh, to the church at Ephesus, and he has somewhat against them, the Bible says, because they left their first love. And this idea that uh, they were dealing with some of these things. And so uh, they, they were departing from uh, understanding and knowing what all God had done for them. And as we get to chapter number 3, uh, Paul is trying to uh, express some things to them. And uh, he prays two prayers in the first three chapters. The first one is found in chapter number 1, and uh, verses 17 to 23. And he prays in that prayer that God would help them to have spiritual understanding and illumination and understanding of the truth that he was going to be sharing with them. When he gets to this portion of the book in chapter 3, he ends this section with a second prayer. And the second prayer is simply this, that they would be strengthened by the might of the Lord, uh, by his might, 
in the inner man. Now, as we get to the end of chapter 3, let's begin reading in, uh, in verse number 14 as we see this second prayer being prayed. He says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. God's, I want to begin this with, with regards to what Paul prays here. God's blessings are not things that He bestows on us because we deserve them. In fact, as we look at this in verse number, 15, or verse number 16, He begins to say what He's praying for, and He says that He would grant you according to, what are these next few words here? According to what? The riches of His glory, okay? And so he says, I'm, I'm praying that God will grant you some things, and I'm not asking Him to grant them to you because you deserve them or that you have earned them. I'm asking Him to deal out of the riches of His glory, to do it just because of His goodness to you, because of His love. By the way, uh, the psalmist uh, spoke of this when he asked the Lord to deal bountifully with His servant. He said, Lord, deal bountifully with Thy servant. And in saying so, he was saying, I don't want you to deal with me on my merit or what I deserve or what is owed to me. I want you to deal with me out of the bounty of your blessing and uh, your love for me. And, and by the way, I would far rather have God deal more with His bounty and blessing than by what I deserve. And I think you would too, because the truth is, even the best we have to offer to Him are nothing more than filthy rags in His sight. And so I would much rather God deal with me out of His bounty than out of my merit, because the truth is, I cannot deserve anything from God. So Paul asks at the beginning, as he begins to pray this second prayer about the church at Ephesus, he says that God would, or that he, speaking of God, would grant you according to the riches of his glory. In other words, these things I'm getting ready to ask him for, I'm asking him to do out of the riches of his glory, not out of your works or because you deserve them or because you're owed, to, owed them. Now let's see what it is that he's asking for here. And he gets to the end of verse number 16, and he says that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. Now, he's speaking here to Christians, and I think sometimes we get in our mindset, and I mentioned this in Sunday school, we get in our mindset that uh, our, <coughs> excuse me, our behavior... Uh, is what determines whether God gives me blessings or not. Now, I do know that we can quench the blessings of God. We can cause Him to withhold blessings by our behavior. But we cannot get this mindset that my behavior is what causes God to give me blessings. Uh, we should not ever look at it from the standpoint of merit. In fact, uh, two different places, well, in this book especially, but even in the book of Romans, uh, Paul emphasizes the fact that uh, our behavior uh, does not determine the blessings, but rather God's blessings should and ought to determine our, 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 our uh, behavior. 
Now, hold your place here for a moment, and let's, let's look at this in Romans. And I'll, I'll show you where in Romans it talks about this. Romans chapter number 11, if you will. <coughs> Excuse me. Romans chapter number 11. Romans chapter number 11. And uh, we'll begin reading in, uh, let's start in verse number 28. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet now have obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they might obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that He might have mercy upon all. O oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. And so he's speaking here of the facts that in times past they were uh, without mercy because they had not put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that they should not be overly critical of those yet that had not put their faith in Him yet, that they, they have the same opportunity as these folks did, to be saved, to trust Christ as their Savior. And he speaks of this, that God did this for the purpose that He could have mercy upon all. He didn't pick and choose who could get saved and who didn't get saved. And the Bible says that He shed His grace abundantly on all that would believe on Him. The fact that anyone can get saved. And he says in verse number 3, he starts with this word, Oh! And I've said so often before, when we see this word of exclamation, it's almost a, a, a groaning, it's almost an utterance of the, of the, of the emotion that, that really has no expression to it other than to express all. In other words, the truth that he's getting ready to say is so overwhelming that there's an emotional outburst at the onset of it. As he says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him? You see that? And it shall be recompensed unto him again, for of him, through him, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. You say, well, my behavior is what I give to God, and he then owes me his blessing. Can I tell you this? You can't give anything to God. He is self-sufficient. There's nothing that you can give to him that will benefit him that he was lacking in. And so Paul is very clear about this. All the riches of his wisdom and knowledge, the things that he has given to us uh, before time, that we can have faith in him. The fact that he loved us even while we were yet sinners. The Bible says Christ died for us. This is what God did for us. He gave us his blessing long before we gave him our obedience. Now notice what Paul says here in verse number 12. He says, and understand that these, these chapter divisions were put in later for us to help understand this. This was written as a continuous thought. He speaks of the riches of God that has been given to those that were without mercy so that He could show mercy to all those that would believe on Him. And he says this in verse number 1, I beseech you therefore, in other words, because of this, I'm pleading with you, I'm begging you, I'm beseeching you by the mercies of God. That ye what? Present your bodies a living sacrifice. What do we see here? We see God's blessing first. And then we see a beseeching for behavior. Paul emphasizes this strongly. By the way, I've made this statement so often before. The motivation of our obedience 
it really ought never be because of obligation. It ought always be because of our love for what He has done for us, our reaction to His blessings to us. Now, that is not always the case. I've gone far enough to say this, that the Bible does tell us in the illustration that He gives in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, that children are to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. And if you can do it for no other reason, you do it because it's right. But I don't believe that's where the joy in the Christian life is found. I believe the joy in the Christian life is found in that second verse of chapter 6 when it talks about children, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that thy days may be long upon the earth. The fact that we can honor, that's where the joy is found. What are we saying? I'm saying that God's blessings have been so great to me that my behavior wants to do what is right because of His manifold blessing to me. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 3 once again, and this is where Paul is coming from. As he says in verse 16, that he would grant according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with his might by his Spirit in the inner man. Can I tell you the greatest blessing that God can give to you and I is not material blessings. It's not to give us a big bank account. It's not to give us a nice home and a nice car. That is not the biggest blessing. He may choose to do that. And while it is a blessing, I don't believe it's the biggest blessing or the greatest blessing. I don't believe that the greatest blessing God can give us is our health. I really don't. He can give us that. And it is a blessing of God, but I don't believe it's the greatest blessing. In fact, He can give us a, a, a smooth life and a life free of, of problems and, and circumstances that come so uh, oftentimes in other people's lives and give them a difficult time. And He can give us a life that is uh, of ease and with little, very little uh, issues or problems. And the truth is, I don't think while it is a, a blessing from the Lord, I don't believe it's the greatest blessing of the Lord. To be honest with you, the greatest blessing of the Lord, other than our salvation in and of itself, is that He gives us His power to be strengthened in the inner man. He allows us then to have the ability and the strength to live in such a way that we are holy and pleasing to Him. And this, I believe, is one of the great blessings other than salvation of the Christian life. You say, well, it's nice to have a car. It is. But is that going to cause me to be holy and closer to the Lord? Probably not. What about, what about having money in the bank? What about having good health? What about having a life that is carefree? Those are great blessings, and I'm thankful God oftentimes does give some of those to His people. But they're not the greatest blessings. Notice as Paul words this here. In verse 16, he says that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to what? To be strengthened with His might by His Spirit in the inner man. We've preached an awful lot at our church in the Christian life. Once we've trusted Christ as our Savior, the importance of walking in the Spirit, living a Spirit-led life, a life that we seek to be pleasing to the Lord and not displeasing to Him. We don't want to grieve or quench the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. And if anything, we want to be yielded and sensitive. We want to be aware and conscious of the fact that the Holy Spirit of God brings to light things of Scripture to our hearts in our day-to-day lives that will help us to live according to the way we should live. Lord willing, in the one o'clock hour, we're going to take the basis that Paul gives us here in chapters 1 to 3, and we're going to pull in the application of them that he gives us in chapters 4 through 6. 
We're going to look at a lot of different things that Paul tells us based on the fact that he has given us this strength, the ability to have this strength in the inner man. What are some things that are very practically based in the life that we live today that God can help us to, to, uh, to uh, order our steps and to give our life uh, the way that it should be, to bring us closer to a godliness and a, and a holiness in our life? We find here as we get to verse number 17 that the strengthening of the might in the inner man is often... Uh, a, a thing that we look at by the might of the Holy Spirit in the inner man. It's one of those things we look at and we say, yes, that's what I want. But then the question comes up, okay, what does it mean? If I were to come up to you on the street tomorrow, at, let's say or after lunch or so, because I'm probably going to sleep tomorrow because I've been preaching today. Let's say I come up to you after lunch tomorrow, and I walk up to you and I say, uh, are you strengthened by the might of the Holy Spirit in your inner man? And you're going to say, boy, I sure want that. And then I may say, well, how are you doing? Or what are you doing? And we'd be like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Sounds good. We want to do it. But what does that mean to be strengthened by the might of the Holy Spirit in our inner man? What does that mean? Paul deals with that, I believe, in these verses. Notice in verse 16, he says, to be strengthened with the might of his Spirit in the inner man. Verse 17, notice this. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Now, now, wait a minute. He's writing here to the church at Ephesus, a body of folks that had put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's speaking here to Christians. Why is he praying that, God, that, that Christ will dwell in them? Didn't, didn't we get the Holy Spirit of God when we got saved? The, I mean, he told the Corinthian church, he said, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price? Why would he pray, then, that Christ would dwell in them? Well, it's interesting, because when we get to Revelation chapter 3, to the church of Laodicea, the seventh church that he writes a letter to, he makes this statement. The Lord makes this statement. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and what? And knock. If any man open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Are we talking here about indwelling of salvation? No, we're talking about fellowship and our walk with God. Paul says, I'm praying for this. I'm praying for you to be strengthened by the might of the Spirit in the inner man. Notice what he says, first of all, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. John, the Apostle John, wrote this as he quoted the words that Jesus was teaching. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will, and that shall be done in you. The idea of abiding in Christ and allowing Christ to abide in you. In Ephesians, the Bible tells us, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And it uses this phrase, filled with the Spirit. And then it talks about the things that happen when you're filled with the Spirit. It talks about your relationships. Husbands to wives, men to, to Christ, uh, wives to husbands, parents to children, children to parents, masters to servants, servants to masters. Every relationship of life is dealt with in there. If you go, it talks about singing to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to your heart's Lord. It talks about giving thanks to God. Those three things, relationships, singing, making melody in your heart's Lord, and giving thanks to God. If you go to Colossians, you'll find the exact same things that are mentioned. But instead of using the phrase filled with the Spirit there, he says, he says this phrase, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. The exact same things are, are, are accomplished by this. 
I submit to you today that I believe that within the context of those two passages of Scripture, you could, you could easily say this, that letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom is the equivalent of being filled with the Spirit and vice versa. That you cannot have one without the other. In fact, John chapter number 1 said this, In the beginning was the what? Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now let's come back and look at what it says here in verse number 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. What are we talking about? We're talking about keeping an open walk with the Lord, a communication with the Lord. And we do that through the Word of God. We do that through walking with Him, by reading Scripture, by having a time of prayer with Him and, and spending time with Him throughout the day. And I would say this, I would not make it a devotional time. I would make it a life that is devoted to Him. That is something that becomes the natural course of our life to walk with God. Not that at 7.30 in the morning is my devotional time, but that throughout the day I'm devoted to living for Him. And I'm going to live for Him according to what I find in His Word. In fact, Paul lays this out very brilliantly as he deals with some of the things that these Christians have that God gives to them through salvation. In chapters 1 to 3. And then in chapters 4 to 6, he gives them 35 different ways to live based on those things. Why? Because he's letting the Word of Christ dwell in them richly with all wisdom. He's saying this, I pray that when you're strengthened with might by the Spirit in the inner man, that this will be, this will be the, 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 that Christ will be dwelling in your hearts by faith. Nothing between my soul and the Savior. Making sure that my walk with Him is right. Each and every day. Notice he says this in, in verse 17. That ye being rooted and grounded in love. Can I tell you this? When we begin to dig into the Word of God and we allow the Word of God to dwell in us and we allow the, the Christ of Scripture to dwell in us and to have that influencing effect through His Holy Spirit as He deals with our hearts and guides our steps each and every day. As we do this and we delve into His Word, the Bible teaches us that we can be rooted and grounded. Notice he tells them this. He says, I want you to be rooted and grounded in love. Now, he's not talking about <coughs> the romantic love you had when you met your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your husband or your wife. He's not speaking of those types of loves. But notice what else he says here as, as we get to verse number 17, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints was the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love. Now, here's this love again, but not just any love. Notice this, that you know the love of what? Christ. That you know the love of Christ. When we allow Christ to dwell in us, we're studying His Word, we're walking with Him, we're in fellowship with Him. Can I tell you, not only do we learn of His love, but we have understanding of it. It's not, a, it's not an academic process. It is an experiential process. We have understanding of the love of God. Notice what he says here in verse number 18. That ye may be able to comprehend what is the length, I'm sorry, breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ. We need to let the Word of Christ, or we need to let Christ dwell in us we need to make sure that we are rooted and grounded in His love. And that comes by letting Christ dwell in us. And being rooted and grounded in love, we have comprehension and understanding 
of the love of Christ. And then I want you to notice this as we get to the end of this. He says, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. Isn't that kind of an oxymoron of a statement that you think of? That we're to know something that the Bible says passeth knowledge. What is he talking about there? The, the truth is, the love of God is beyond our full understanding and comprehension. He's not talking here about the completion of the knowledge of God's work. He's talking about the process of the knowledge of God. This love of God that we have comprehension of and understanding of, to know the length and the breadth and the depth and the height of it, that this is a journey that we will continue to have throughout our life. Because the truth is, until we get to heaven, we will fully never know it. But it ought to be the pursuit of our hearts. To know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. Notice what he says here, that, we, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. So, follow me for a moment. Paul says this. He said at the very beginning of the book, he says, I'm praying that God will illuminate some things and bring some understanding of some things. And then he shares with them all the things that God does when we get saved. And he concludes all of those things in chapter 3 by praying a second time. And the second time he prays, he says, I want you to be strengthened with the might of the Spirit in the inner man. Now he goes through a list of some things. You need to let Christ dwell in you. You need to be rooted and grounded in love. Not just any love, but the love of Christ. There needs to be an understanding of the love of Christ, a comprehension of it, and a pursuit of it. And there needs to be, fourthly, the filling. Notice what he says here, that you might be filled with all the fullness of Christ, of God, I'm sorry. What do we mean by being filled with all the fullness of God? God is infinite. Could we ever in our finite bodies and minds even grasp the fullness of God? Have understanding of the fullness of God? No, but we can have the fullness of what God offers. And when I say this, I think so many times we think that God only gives us portions of Himself at a time and that we need to pray for more. And a lot of preachers preach this, but that is not what the Bible teaches. Can I tell you this? It is not so much God giving more of Himself to us as it is more of us saying, I'm going to open more of my life open to the influence of God in my life. I want to have the fullness of God fill me. That means those areas of my life that I said, Lord, you can... You can have this area of my life, but I'm going to hang on to this one for a while. I'm not going to give you full control of that one. That, that little sin that we can't seem to quite get victory over, or, or, or that, little, that little thing that we think, boy, I, I know the Bible tells me I ought to live this way, but I really, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do 95%, Lord, but this little 5% I'm going to hang on to. And I tell you this, there needs to come a point where we let go of all of it and say, God, you have all of me. In fact, that's what Paul was getting at in Romans when he said in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When we speak here of the fact that he wants us to be filled with all the fullness of God, it is not a matter of God giving more of Himself to us. It is a matter of us giving more of ourselves to Him. 
And to say, Lord, I don't want to have a part of my life that You're not a part of. I want You to permeate every part of my life. My work, my priorities, my relationships, my attitude, my character, my integrity, and we could go on and on and on. Because the truth is, in every single person's life that's sitting here in this room, including this pastor, we all have some area of our life that we've not yet fully yielded to Him. Paul said to the church at Ephesus, he says, Folks, when you got saved, God gave you some glorious gifts. He gave you gifts that give you the ability to live the victorious Christian life and to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ effectively. He said, you either have forgotten them or you didn't know them to begin with. He tells them that. He shares with them a number of those things in chapters 1 to 3. And then he ends by praying, I pray that God will strengthen you with the Spirit in the inner man. What does that mean? It means I need to let God dwell in me. It means that I need to be rooted and grounded in love. It means that I need to understand and have comprehension of the knowledge of the love of God. And it means that I need to be filled with all the fullness of God. How do I fill myself with the fullness of God? How do I give every part of myself to Him? I like the word permeate or I like the word saturate. The truth is we are so encumbered by the affairs of this life, are we not? That we oftentimes miss opportunity to grow in our spiritual life. If we were to take all of our free time that we have in a 24-hour period, and say, every moment I have free, I just want to spend it in the Word of God. Do you think it might make a difference in my life? If I, if I were to just simply double, double the amount of time that I spend in God's Word and praying and spending time with God, do you think that would have an impact on my life? Some of us spend enough time that we could afford to double it or triple it or quadruple it. And it still wouldn't take up most of our day. It's amazing to me that as I've read through some of the great revivals of history, that they are always bathed in a season of someone or a group of someone's praying, and I'm talking about going into places of fervent prayer. There's a fellow years ago by the name of, they, they called him Father Nash. He's an old Congregationalist preacher. He went around and he would pray before revivals. And he would go a week ahead of time and he would rent a room a long time. Many times he'd take another young man by the name of Abel Clary with him. And they would go a week or so ahead of the revivals and they would rent a room or they would rent a basement somewhere and they would give themselves to praying. When the preachers would come into town, oftentimes it was not unusual for those they had rented the room from to come to the preachers and to say, uh, do you know, uh, do you know uh, Father Nash? Do you know Abel Clary? Abel Clary? 
And they would say, oh, yes, yes, we know them. And they'd say, we sure wish you'd come check on them. All hours of the day and night, we hear groaning and crying. And they say, you let them alone. For they are wrestling in prayer. These men would pray literally to the point where they would not eat, they would not drink, and there were days where men had to come in and help them up off of the floor where they were kneeling to get them under their beds because of their lack of strength and exhaustion in prayer. Daniel Nash oftentimes would walk into the services of those revival meetings the first night or the second night or the third night. And by eyewitness accounts, there were many that would hear him walk in the service spend a moment looking around and listening to what was going on, he would say, he's not here yet, and turn around and go back to his prayer closet. After several days of this, oftentimes he would come in and finally he would say, he's here. And that very night, in every instance that every preacher ever had him pray for a revival for him, without exception, every night, that was the night that God did a wonderful work and a move in the services. Why? Because he knew how to pray. I'm not saying we've got to get on our faces before God and pray to the place of not having strength to stand or not eating or not drinking. But can I tell you this? Most of us don't even come near that. We wonder why we struggle sometimes in the Christian life. We wonder why sometimes we feel like maybe we don't have the fullness of God dwelling in us. There's, there's something that's grown cold or calloused in our lives. Paul's going to take the next three chapters of this letter and he's going to instruct the church at Ephesus how to live. Practical things. Things of holiness. Things of separation. Things of honor and pleasing to God. And he's basing it off of this kind of a mindset and a heart. He's basing it on the fact that God has done so much for you through the act of redemption for the act of saving your soul, forgiving of your sin, and giving you a home in heaven for all of eternity. The fact that He's made you one of His children. He's made you part of His family. Paul uses so many of these things that he deals with in the first part of the letter to tell these people, I pray that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. You ever wondered what it would be like to literally saturate your life with your religion, with your walk with God, your your time spent in this book, what we would call the the the, uh, the actions of our faith, to be able to permeate in every aspect of our lives and yield every part of it to Him, it would change us, change the way we live, change the way we speak. It would change our priorities. Change an awful lot of things, I think. If we ever get to the place where we let all of the fullness of Christ dwell in us. Now he says in verse number 20, and I want you to look with me if you will. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. <clears throat> I've seen a lot of people quote this verse. They only quote it to that point usually. And they usually do it to express some miracle they're praying for. Uh, and I'm not saying that, that God is not able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think in other areas. But this is not what Paul is meaning by this verse. 
Is that a truth that's found elsewhere in Scripture? I certainly believe so. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think in other areas. But Paul is saying this within the context of our Christian growth. Of letting the fullness of God dwell in us. Of letting us be strengthened by the might of the Spirit in the inner man. Because the church at Ephesus had the mindset that they had gotten saved and they had all the wealth and the riches of God's grace that was given to them in so many areas of victory and, and help and strength to live the Christian life. And they were ignoring them and they were forgetting them and they had no idea that these things were even available to them. And they were, they were, they were getting to the place where even though they were wealthy and, and, and rich in God's grace and mercy and the blessings and the gifts that He gave to them, they were living like paupers and they were living like poor people. Spiritually speaking. I'm not talking about their, 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 their material things. I'm talking about their spiritual conditions. There was no growth. There was no, there was no, uh, there was no zeal. There was no uh, love for the, for the things of the Lord like there should have been. And these are the things Paul is addressing. And this verse applies to this. You say, well, Pastor, I've gotten to the place where I just don't seem to get a whole lot out of my Christian life. And we need, we need to pray that you'll be strengthened by the might of the Holy Spirit in the inner man. Why? Because unto Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according, notice this, to the what? According to, look with me in verse 20, because we don't usually quote this part of it. According to the power that worketh where? In us. What power is He talking about? The strengthening by the might of the Spirit in the inner man. That's what this verse is referring to. That the enabling to live the victorious Christian life, God is able to do it way beyond what you think you can do. If you'll just let Him. Let the fullness of Christ dwell in you. All of the fullness of it. Be filled with it. Let it permeate every aspect of your life. Why? Because He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. You say, I could never be much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, yes, you could. God can do such wonderful works in this area. When it comes to living holy and righteous, you say, boy, I just can't seem to ever get a handle on that. Oh, but yes, you can. When you know the promises of God, what He's given to us through salvation, when we allow the Holy Spirit to do the work He wants to do in our lives, we certainly can. Because He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Unless we get exalted above measure, and we spend a little bit of time on this in Sunday school, and I'm going to share this because I think it's important for many of us that are here. As we grow in that Christian life that Paul speaks about here, we've got to be so careful that we do not become arrogant or proud to the point of looking down at others who have not quite yet reached that place. Because the Bible says, unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, to him be what? What does it say? Glory, what? Read it with me. Unto him be glory in the church by your works. Unto him be glory in the church by your spiritual growth. No, no. We don't glory in that. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. What's He saying here? 
If there's any glory to be found in the growth of the Christian life, it is not because of something you and I have accomplished, but something that He has done through us. And there needs to be not just a mental acknowledgement of this, there needs to be an experiential understanding of this. Because this is the thing that happens often. God does a work. And then we become judgmental of others, thinking, well, they have not done this. Well, wait a minute. You haven't done it either. Christ did it in you. If you're going to give glory to anybody, you give glory to Christ. By the way, when we're critical about someone else who's not quite reached our place spiritually, what we're in essence saying is, God, you haven't done that work in them yet. Are we going to criticize God? We're not going to do that. Now, it could be that, that, that the Lord has worked on them as hard as He's worked on us and they've rejected that. Then what is my responsibility? Is it to be judgmental of them? Is it to criticize them? Is it to cause them to feel like they're inferior as Christians? No, no. As a brother or sister in Christ, I'm to go to them and try to edify and help them along the way too with the spirit of love and meekness. We've got to be careful. Paul deals with this. That we do not take the credit for where God brings us in the Christian life. Unto Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, to Him be glory in the church throughout all ages, world without end. And then Paul says, Amen. So be it. This is the truth. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we're thankful for Your Word. I pray that You'll help guide and direct our steps. Father, I, I think oftentimes we have maybe, as we've read this passage, thought, boy, I do want to be strengthened by the might of Your Spirit in the inner man.